The following message is from Grace City Church in Ottawa. For more information, please visit gracecity.ca. If you have a Bible, feel free to turn to Galatians. I'm not going to speak for long this morning, but do just want to help us focus on Jesus Christ as we're gathered here this morning. Of course, I love how Laurel led the children's time in just such a gospel-focused way. I know for me, growing up, for so much of my life, I would kind of get into this annual rhythm with Christmas where I would be around things, you know, like Christmas images and cards and gifts and shopping and, 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 and church services and carol services and all that. But for some reason, and this has more to do with what was going on in my own heart at the time, it all kind of went right over me. And, 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 and I didn't, for whatever reason, I, I didn't slow down and really take time to reflect on just on the glory of Christmas and what this true story means so I'm just going to pray quickly, and, and, and I want to ask that the Holy Spirit would help all of us, myself included. Like, I'm a, I'm a church pastor, right? But believe me, I need this just as much as you, that we would slow down and that we would look at the truth of this story, and that we would just, just like children, just be lost in wonder, just be lost in wonder at it. So Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you would help each of us in this room, that we would see this with fresh eyes. Uh, open the eyes of our heart, Holy Spirit. I, I, I pray that some of us this morning will be hearing things of the Christmas story for, for the umpteenth time. I pray that we would hear it this morning in a, in a fresh way and that we would marvel at it this morning. Jesus, there is no one like you. There is no one like you. There is no king who has ever walked this earth or who will ever walk this earth who humbled himself like you did, King Jesus the way in which you entered this world, the life you lived, going to the cross in our place. There's no king like you, Jesus. There's no king like you, meekness and majesty. Jesus, this is you. So Holy Spirit, help us. Help us right now, we pray, for the glory of this king, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen. About 10 years ago, there was a popular book uh, that came out. It was kind of a business and entrepreneurship book by an author named Simon Sinek, and the book was called Start With Why. I suspect a few of you will have read it. And in this book, what he's really trying to drive at is that uh, in the business world, and this can be true in many areas of life, people often start with the question of how or what. You know, what, what is it that we're trying to accomplish, and how are we going to go about it? And he says, like, look, that, that has its place but he says that there's value in starting with why. Why does this matter? Why is this important? And he speaks in this book about how people are generally moved into action through one of two things. Uh, the first is manipulation, that people are manipulated into doing something. But the second is that they're inspired. They're inspired into doing something. You might be thinking, well, what does this possibly have to do with Christmas or to have to do with us gathering as a church here this morning. Well, I think it has to do a, a lot with this, because I think when it comes to religion and even Christianity, I think, and I suspect that there are some in this room uh, that feel that, well, really, the way that, that Christianity and religion, the way it really gets people to do things is, is kind of through manipulation. It's kind of through, you know, giving a guilt trip, a lot of talking about sin and punishment for sin, hoping that people might be good enough or might be kind of encouraged on or spurred on to good actions, but it's really through Manipulation. Look, I, I get it. I get how it can be easy to think that way. Culturally, that's how many people would approach all religion, uh, and certainly Christianity within that. But what the Bible actually sets forward for us is not manipulation. It's far more 
inspiration. And it actually goes beyond inspiration to actually transformation. These are truths that can hit us deep down and can change us on the inside. And my hope this morning is, is I want to look at the, the, the why of Christmas, okay? Because we can look at the how or the what. Like we could say, well, how, how did Christmas happen? How did the first Christmas happen? And we can go to Luke 2 and we read the story of the angel appearing uh, to Mary saying, you are going to be with child and, 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 and then speaking to, to Joseph and then them going on their, on their trip to Bethlehem and Jesus being born, but there's no room for them and the inn, so the innkeeper says, well, no, I've got this place out back, this stable, and that's where Jesus is born. That, that, that's the how. And we can talk about what, like what is Christmas? Well, Christmas is the time when we remember the birth of Jesus, and that is true. But we can focus so much on, on the how and on the what that we don't actually stop to consider the why. Like, why Christmas? Like, Christmas is nice. I, I, I suspect that most of us you know, at least in some ways, enjoy this time of year, time off work, good food, like we're going to enjoy after the service, time with friends and family, all these things. These are good things, but why? Why Christmas? Well, fortunately for us, Scripture is very clear about the why of Christmas. Paul, in his letter to the churches in Galatia, he says this in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, just two, two verses, very short, but this is what it says. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So there are three things that we're going to quickly look at from this text that answer the question, why Christmas? Here's what the three things are. Number one, of the why of Christmas, so that Jesus would be glorified through his obedience to the Father. Number two, so that Jesus would be glorified through the redemption of sinners. And number three, so Jesus will be glorified through the adoption of sons. So let's look at these. So the first one, so Jesus will be glorified through his obedience to the Father. It's at that first Christmas, the coming of Jesus into the world, that we see the physical outworking of the obedience of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to God the Father. We can sometimes slip into thinking that says, well, Jesus, Jesus began at Christmas. That's when he was born in the world. But that's not true. Jesus, as the Son of God, has always, always existed with the Father. And in fact, it's not just been the two of them. It's been the blessed Trinity, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And at some point in the past, we don't, we don't know when, but we know at some point there was an agreement among the Godhead as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that it would be the Son that would be sent into the world with God's salvation plan and the means for God's salvation plan to rescue a people. And it's the son's obedience to the father. It's the father's plan, but it's the son's obedience to the father that what we we see happening at Christmas is that Jesus is being faithful to that call of the father on him. And he's going and he's being born into the world, into the most humble of circumstances. And we might think at times, well, no, uh, God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they, they, they all have equal say in these things. And there are, there are things that are mysterious to us here. But Scripture is very clear that Jesus was submitted to the Father. Where do we see that in its most clear way? Of course, is in the garden when Jesus prays, but not, not my will, 
but yours be done. Clearly in Scripture we see God the Son, Jesus Christ, submitted to God the Father and to the Father's plan. And Christmas, the first why of Christmas, is that Jesus would be glorified because of his obedience to the Father. There's a dear friend in this church that I have the privilege of praying with from time to time, and he often starts off when we're praying together just thanking God for his different attributes, different things that God is, different things that God has done. So we'll often start by saying, God, thank you that you are holy. Jesus, thank you that you are righteous. Thank you that you are perfect. And he would include something like this in it. Jesus, thank you for your perfect obedience to the Father. The obedience of Jesus is something, uh, sometimes something we tend to not focus on very much, but it's actually something uh, that we should marvel at because Jesus was, perfect to his, uh, was obedient to his Father in every way, in every way. And we are not, are we? We're not perfectly obedient to God the Father, but Jesus was and is and continues to be today perfectly obedient to God the Father And his perfect record of obedience to God the Father gets extended to us by grace through faith. Isn't that amazing? It's Jesus coming into the world, being born of Mary, where we see the physical outworking of Jesus' obedience to the Father. Number two, uh, the why of Christmas, so that Jesus would be glorified through the redemption of those under the law, interesting language there. There are a couple ways that we can understand that. The first is just to think of the Jewish people themselves. The, the Jews are those that were the most strict observers of God's laws. We read it in the Old Testament of Scripture, so that's one way to understand those under the law. But that's not the way that it's actually meant right here. It's actually meant in a more universal sense because Paul, the same Paul who writes this letter to the churches in Galatia, also writes in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. All, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus being glorified through the redemption of those under the law is uh, to mean that Jesus is glorified through the redemption of all of those, Jewish or Gentile or otherwise, of all those who place their faith in him. He's glorified through that because it is through him that their redemption is possible, that it takes place. Now, that's a bit of a theological word, redemption, but it's one that we actually do use even today. Uh, We use it often when we have a coupon or if something pops up on one of the apps on our phones saying two for one or show this for a free coffee or whatever else it might be. And you, you take that and there's an exchange. There's an exchange for either that piece of information or that screen grab or that, that physical piece of paper for something else. That's what happens when you redeem something. That's the very thing that Jesus has done for us on the cross. He has redeemed us. What is it that he spent to redeem us? What is it that he spent to purchase us? He spent his own blood. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And what did he buy? He bought all those that have placed their faith in him. That's what he bought. Because all those, all, Romans 3.23, all have sinned. All of us are slaves, apart from Jesus, all of us are slaves to sin. All of us are owned by sin, is how we can think of that. Outside of Christ, we are owned by sin. But Jesus, on the cross, redeems us. He uses his blood to purchase us. We've been bought by him. 
bought through his blood. Again, that's probably language if we've been around this for a while that we're familiar with. But we, we need to look. That, that's the exchange that has taken place. Isn't that amazing? He has paid for us by his blood. He has purchased us unto himself. But not only do we then belong to Jesus, it's not just that we're no longer owned by sin, although that would be amazing in itself, but Jesus goes beyond that. It's a third way of the why of Christmas, which is, of course, so that Jesus would be glorified through the adoption of sons. That's what Paul says in Galatians the adoption of sons. Now, first, let's not be offended that the text says sons and doesn't say sons and daughters. This is common in the literary style of its day. However, you don't need to look far in Paul's letters and all throughout Scripture, for that matter, to find many, many places where women are honored, where women are held up as daughters of God, made in the image of God. The reason I say that is because sometimes we can get hung up on different literary and language elements like that and actually miss the glory of what the text is saying. What Paul is saying here is that we have been redeemed not just to no longer be owned by sin, but to be bought by Jesus and to be welcomed into the family of God as sons and daughters. To be welcomed into the family of God as sons and daughters. This is something that is only possible because of Christmas. Because without Jesus coming into this world, and as we read in Galatians 4, without, without Jesus coming and being born of woman, being born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we could be received as sons, well, none of this is possible without Jesus coming into the world. And being born in the most humble of circumstances and growing up and being tested as the second Adam Right? Remember the very beginning of Genesis, like God creating man and woman and placing them in the garden, giving them one command. It's that one thing that is said to them of, essentially, will you trust me? Will I be God and you be my son and daughter? And they go, no, we're going to be God. We're going to assume that we know better, and they believe a lie, and sin comes into the world. So then all these years later, Jesus, as the second Adam, Comes and he comes into the world. And isn't it interesting that with Adam in the garden, what is it that provides that test? Well, it's a tree, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What is it that Jesus is first laid into? Well, it's a manger made of wood, right? It's a manger made of wood. He's there as Jesus. Well, there, 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 there's, this, there's a second Adam by a, a tree, as it were. Is he going to be faithful? Is the second Adam going to pass the test? Well, let's watch. And we read through the Gospels. We read of Jesus growing up, faithful in every way. We read of Jesus as a man, faithful in every way, perfectly obedient to the Father. Oh, what about as he's going to another tree? That's a word that Scripture uses to speak of the cross, is the tree. Is he still going to be faithful? Will he even go to that extent? Oh, look, he's praying in the garden. If there's any other way for this to be possible, let this cup pass for me. Let, let there be another way. But, oh, is he going to be faithful? Is he going to be like the first Adam? But Jesus prays, but Father, not my will, but yours be done. Oh, he's faithful. He's faithful. He's passed. He's passed the test. And he goes to the cross. He goes to the tree in your place and in mine. Without the babe in the manger, there's no man on the cross, right? Without the babe in the manger, there's no Jesus on the cross. This is the why of Christmas. 
Church, I hope that this Christmas that we will take the time in our own lives. I really encourage each of us to do that even over this coming week, just to take time, slow down, open the Word of God, and just, just let it soak in. Just reflect on it. The story that perhaps you've heard dozens of times now, just slow down, read it again. Read it again. Humble yourself before it again. Let it impact you. Soak it in and marvel at these wonderful, wonderful truths. There's a beautiful old hymn that was written by a woman in the uh, early 20th century. She was an English hymn writer named Ada Habershon. The song is called A Manger, A Cross, and a Grave. And I just want to read this to you as I close. It's called A Manger, A Cross, and a Grave. A manger, a cross, a grave were all that the earth could give to him who had come to save, who suffered that we might live. The world had been made by him, yet offered him not beside. No room could they find for him. The Savior was left outside. He came to his own dear land, yet was by his own despised. But they who received him knew their king who was thus disguised. The manger, the cross, the grave were each for a season lent. Yet all things belong to him, the king who to Calvary went. Lord Jesus, we love that the babe in the manger is the one who grew faithful to his father in every way and went to that cross in our place. So Jesus, we, we give you glory because of your obedience to the father. We give you glory because redemption is only possible through you, Jesus. We give you glory because you've made a way for us as sinful people to be welcomed into the family of God and not treated as sinners, but treated as sons and daughters of the King. Jesus, it's only possible because of you. We love you, we thank you, and we worship you. This Christmas, we want to worship you throughout the year. And Jesus, we want to worship you right now as we raise our voices together in song, praising the babe in the manger who is the man who went to the cross for us. We worship you, King Jesus. Amen. Amen.